This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as financial advice. All views expressed on this podcast are solely the opinions of the host and or any guests that we might have from time to time. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow a particular investing strategy. Hello, you sexy sat stackers, and welcome to the latest episode of the Bitcoin Bulletin Podcast. It has been a glorious day. It was supposed to be dreary, a little bit cooler, but uh, cloudy with potentially some rain moving in this morning, and that didn't happen. It's been bright and sunny. It got up to 85 degrees today, and while that means that it changed my plans up a little bit, because ironically, I had planned for a rainy day, uh, it's just really, it's a nice time of year to be here in, in sunny central Florida. You know, the summertime especially the late summer, especially August and the very beginning of September can be really, really miserable in Florida. Uh, it's not unusual for the temperatures to be in the upper 90s and darn near 100% humidity. And for some reason, about one or two weeks every late August, early September, the, the sea breeze kind of dies down. Right here on the beach, we always have a nice breeze blowing right off the ocean. And so even if it's 90 it's pretty comfortable right on the beach, but when that breeze stops blowing, even on the beach, it is muggy. Uh, but that's not the case today. It's 85. There's a nice breeze, and it just doesn't feel quite as humid as out. It's humid out as it as it has been. It isn't quite fall, and it's certainly not heading into winter here anytime soon. But it's just a nice day. And I had a great morning. I just uh, just got done doing an interview with a really uh, really great pleb. Uh, entrepreneur, Bitcoiner, and hopefully I'll get around to releasing that to tomorrow. Uh, I got to get the DCA Wednesday stack episode done today, and then it'll take me a little while. That'll be a full video interview, uh, so that that'll be cool. Uh, you know, it, it probably won't make a whole lot of difference if you are an audio listener because, I mean, I haven't added any graphics or anything to it yet, and I don't know how much I'm going to add. Um, there's a couple of things that they point out when I'm talking to them about Bitcoin and Bitcoin adoption, uh, where, you know, he holds something up to the camera that you won't be able to see if you're listening on audio, but, but you'll get the point. So if you want to watch the video version tomorrow, uh, keep an eye off, keep an eye out for that on Spotify, uh, probably tomorrow morning, but I digress. Today is Wednesday, September 20th, 2023. And that means it is DCA Wednesday. So before we get into the news and before we grow our stack of Satoshis, let's take a real quick look at the vital statistics. At the time of this recording, Bitcoin is sitting at a block height of 808611 and the price of Bitcoin is ringing in at $27,180 US dollars. That is a $1,000, that is $1,000, $1,000, $1,005. I don't know why I'm having a hard time spitting that out. More than $1,000 more than last week, uh, and almost $1,500 more than two weeks ago, uh, which is, you know, gives me mixed emotions. It means we're going to get fewer sats for our dollar than we got last week, but a lot of people get downtrodden, downhearted during the crab market, during the accumulation phase leading into the, the halving cycle, uh, because they, you know, they maybe this is their first cycle and they bought it $50,000 or maybe even $60,000. And so it's kind of a bummer to see the, the value of their Satoshis uh, less than what they paid for it. And even if you bought 
cycles ago at a thousand dollars a bitcoin it's fun to see your stack worth a lot more in in fiat terms even though that's not really why we're here and you really shouldn't get used to thinking of your stack in terms of uh, fiat in terms of us dollars or euros uh, you should just be concentrating on the size of that stack in satoshis uh, but i digress today it looks like we're going to be able to convert fiat into sats at a rate of 3,679 sats per dollar, so about 140 sats fewer per dollar than we got last week. So that's the bummer about seeing number go up. But we're still going to get a heck of a lot more sats than, you know, than we got at the peak. Uh, and since we're dollar cost averaging, we've bought the lows, we bought the highs, and everywhere in between. Uh, so 3,679 sats per dollar is still a bargain, especially compared to you know, when Bitcoin hits 100,000 per coin and you're only getting 1,000 sats per dollar, or it hits a million dollars per coin and you're only getting 100 sats per dollar. Ike, E, you know, dollar sat parity. You know, it sounds like a pipe dream. It sounds like one of those things where you say that'll never happen. But when I first got into Bitcoin, people were calling you an idiot if you, you know, moron if you thought Bitcoin could ever even reach 20,000. And in the 2017 bull run December 2017 when Bitcoin briefly touched 19k almost 20k um, you know before that I mean that was the moon when, when it did that and now here we are sitting at 27,000 and and, and and it feels like Bitcoin is cheap and it is especially considering we are early when uh, Bitcoin you know when we try for Bitcoinization or mass adoption or even just when something happens like one of these ETFs gets approved and we get more big financial institutional money into Bitcoin uh, there's only 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist uh, so supply and demand dictates that uh, what is it uh, they say infinity everything divided by 21 million hold on to your hats and speaking of blocks we are currently 31,389 blocks away from the next having TikTok next block uh, as you know, the reward that miners get for finding the next Bitcoin block is reduced in half every 210,000 blocks. And the next halving is looking like it's going to occur in April of 2024, April of next year. Uh, it looks like it's going to be April 21st, according to the estimators at this point in time. You know, it, when we first uh, started paying attention as, as it got closer and closer, it was looking like it was going to be April 20th and it started dragging up to uh, maybe April 22nd or 23rd, and now it's speeding back up again. All that really matters is we know that the reward will be halved at block 840,000. And speaking of halved, I call it the halving. I've been seeing the debate on Twitter slash X, um, again, whether it's the halving or the halvening. I guess you call it whatever you want to call it. Um, the halvening just sounds cringe to me and, and no offense if you prefer to call it the happening maybe it's more fun to call it the happening i mean the happening does have a ring to it to me when i hear someone say the happening it just sounds like vitalik buterin language and uh, uh that, that personally that bugs me but i have a lot of little, little weird quirks about uh about things like that so call it whatever you want the having the happening all that really matters is that at block eight hundred and forty thousand miners will receive half the minor award that they're currently receiving. And since freshly mined Bitcoin, you know, the commercial mined Bitcoin is the largest portion of Bitcoin available on exchanges or on over-the-counter desks. When that supply gets cut in half, that has traditionally sparked an epic bull run. And I don't see any reason why this time will be different. 
There has been FUD, and we discussed last week where people said, well, this will be the first halving where we're going into a recession. And, of course, the easy rebuttal to that is, well, last halving, we were in a full economic lockdown. Remember, factories were closed. You weren't allowed to go to work. You couldn't go to a restaurant. Your kids couldn't go to school. Uh, the economy ground to a total standstill just, what, a month or two before the halving. Uh, and we still blasted all the way up to $69,000, uh, which... Once again, you know, before that ever happened, that was considered completely unrealistic. So who knows where the new moon will be, but I'm a firm believer that history, at least even if it doesn't repeat, it rhymes. And six months to a year after that having, we should be, we should be seeing what the new all-time high is. All right. Uh, Bitcoin's current U.S. dollar value gives it a market capitalization of 529 8 billion that's 19.4 billion dollars more than last week and uh 28.4 billion more than the week before of course those were uh the not the cycle low obviously the cycle low was around 15 or 16,000 um but uh, we've retraced back down to when we retraced back down to uh you know 25,000 uh we saw uh the Bitcoin almost break the $500 billion market cap to the downside. Again, a lot of people don't really care because market capitalization is just a fantasy number. Nobody's paid $529.8 billion for the Bitcoin that's out there. Really, that's just if everybody were to sell all the Bitcoin all at once at its current value, it would be $529.8 billion of the Bitcoin. But if you dumped all that Bitcoin on the exchanges, you'd obviously crash the price. So it's a made-up statistic, but it is fun to track because it kind of shows you where Bitcoin is as far as its value compared to oh, the top 10 most valuable companies in the world or the market capitalization of precious metals like gold, uh, etc. And it, it really puts it in perspective because, you know, even if, even if people were to just uh, tuck away, squirrel away, convert as much fiat into Bitcoin as they've converted into Apple stock, and the price of Bitcoin would would explode astronomically from here. Uh, and if, you know, and, and that's, that's, I mean, that's nothing because, I mean, Apple's just one company, right? I mean, it's the most valuable company in the world, but there's 10 or so companies that are almost as valuable. And if you add them up, their market cap obviously clearly surpasses Apple. So there's a lot of money that people have squirreled away in different investments. And when some of that starts flowing into Bitcoin, uh, it says it's the only asset that you can't inflate I mean, even gold can be mined, even without an asteroid made of gold crashing to Earth. The amount of gold will, in circulation will always go up. You know, the more expensive it gets, the more profitable it is for miners to mine gold they previously wouldn't have tried to extract from the Earth. Uh, that can't happen with Bitcoin. So um, the sky's the limit, but it is fun to look and see where Bitcoin's market capitalization is compared to other asset classes just for that purpose. For those of you who value your wealth in gold and those shiny yellow rocks and those Peter Schiff bucks, it got a little bit more expensive for you to purchase Bitcoin. It will currently cost you 14.1 ounces of gold to buy just one Bitcoin. That's 14 one-ounce gold coins, 14 one-ounce bars, almost a pound of gold to purchase just one Bitcoin. If you had converted your gold to Bitcoin two weeks ago, you could have done so for just 13.5 ounces. And of course, it's not going to be long. I mean... It, it might it might you might say that we're not going to set a new all-time high till a year after the having but you know time marches on they say TikTok next block but you you know you blink and it's it's almost you know summer's over right it seems like we were just heading into summer 
And before you know it, it's going to be Christmas. And before you know it, after that, we're going to have the halving. So it's only a matter of time before we're talking about pounds of gold to purchase just one Bitcoin, not, not ounces. For those of you who value your wealth in pizza, one Bitcoin will currently purchase you 1,520 large pepperoni pizzas from Papa John's. That is more than one pizza every day for more than four years. You could basically feed a family of four dinner every night for more than four years with just one Bitcoin. Uh, that is a metric I find more impressive than market capitalization because that puts it in a real human perspective. Uh, you know, there's people out there, especially with inflation going through the roof, trying to figure out how they're going to come up with grocery money or what they're going to fix for their family for dinner tonight. You know, maybe they're not going to fix steak. They're going to have to fix macaroni and cheese because groceries have gotten so expensive. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying convert your Bitcoin into pizza. By all means, no. But um, knowing that you could feed your family every, every night, you could send their family to bed with a full stomach for one Bitcoin for four, for just one Bitcoin, you could do that for four years. Uh, that's pretty cool. And what's funny is one day, one day even that'll seem like an absurd waste of Bitcoin, right? I mean, it wasn't that long ago that Laszlo spent all, you know, spent 10,000 Bitcoin for just two pizzas. Uh, and, you know, for him, that was a good deal. And uh, I, th I, I even, we even talked about that briefly in the interview that I did today. Uh, and about why had Laszlo not spent those 10,000 Bitcoin, we, we might not be where we're at today. So uh, by all means, spend and replace. But um, it is cool to know that you could buy a heck of a lot more pizza today than you could uh, 10 years ago or two years ago. Looking at the mempool, it's a little bit less jammed up than it was last week. Still a heck of a lot of blocks pending. According to Clark Moody's dashboard, there are 54 blocks for the transactions pending in the mempool. Down from the 64 blocks the two previous weeks in a row, but still a heck of a lot of traffic. And perhaps surprisingly, even with the mempool a little clearer, the cost to do an on-chain transaction has gotten dramatically more expensive. Last week, Clark Moody's dashboard was estimating that if you wanted to guarantee an on-chain transaction was mined in the next block, it was going to cost you about 26 sats per V-byte. Now, Clark Moody's dashboard is estimating that that will cost you 40 sats per V-byte. And mempool.space, which has usually been a, a, a little bit lower, that you know their, their estimate was always cheap, a little bit cheaper than Clark Moody's estimate, is actually more expensive. Mempool.space says a high-priority transaction should it should have a 42 sat per V-byte uh, fee. And because the price is up a little bit, that means the that fee in U.S. dollar terms would be $1.60. And that is the first time scrolling through my notes in a very long time that the fee to guarantee your on-chain transaction is included in the next block is more than a dollar. Of course, good luck sending money via Western Union for $1.60. You know, for that $1.60, you can transfer millions or even billions of dollars anywhere in the world, permissionlessly, irrevocably, uncensorably. Uh, you get the drill. You're, you're a Bitcoiner. You're listening to the podcast. You know that, the, that what makes Bitcoin more the most, perhaps the most valuable is its censorship resistance. But the fact that you can send, you know, money anywhere in the world and you can do it in the next block for just $1.60 is, is pretty spectacular. Now, it does get dramatically cheaper if you if you can wait a little bit. So Clark Moody is saying that if you can wait a day, 13 sats per V-byte will get you into the next block. 
you know, and that's a little bit more like 50 cents. So a heck of a lot cheaper. And if you have up to a week to wait, you can lower your fee to as perhaps as little as six sats per V byte, which puts it down into the, you know, 25 cent range. So uh, there is that. And also, of course, most transactions I would recommend if you're not buying a house or, a, you know, something huge or moving millions of dollars or, you know, moving to your hardware wallet. If you're spending, if you're buying that pizza or if you're ordering coffee from El Salvador at, you know, goodbeans dot, uh, the goodbeans.com, uh, you'd be paying with lightning. And of course, lightning is instantaneous and, and basically free. So for the average pleb, uh, that on-chain fee is going to become increasingly less relevant. You know, um, when we transfer our Bitcoin to our hardware wallet, since we're using Cash App, they don't charge us a mining fee to do so currently. So that doesn't apply to us at all. We're going to move this Bitcoin into cold storage for absolutely free. Uh, you know, that's one of the trade-offs. Everything in life is a trade-off. So Cash App charges about two and a quarter percent to make that purchase, which means the $20 we're going to invest here in a little bit is going to cost us a 45 cent fee. Uh, but then they're going to let us transfer it to our hardware wallet for free. So it all comes out in the wash, as they say. All right, the metric that you know I like to follow, Bitcoin's 24-hour transaction rate is through the roof. We're currently averaging 6.48 transactions per second, way above the max of four transactions per second we used to see before Taproot and ordinals and inscriptions. Uh, and, of course, that is indicative of the mempool being clogged because you know bitcoin is currently taking in more transactions into the mempool than the than the than are able to be mined to blocks you know that ebbs and flows if you stare at mempools all day you'll see that early in the morning like sunday nights or uh, or or weekday mornings there's huge transactions where exchanges or you know financial institutions are moving bitcoin around uh, but in general nights and weekends activity tapers off most of humanity still does the Monday through Friday nine to five thing, you know, the banker's hours. So um, fees tend to usually get cheaper in the evening and in the weekends. Uh, and, you know, on-chain activity tends to die down a bit. Of course, we tend to do, we do this episode every Wednesday, so smack dab in the middle of the week. And we tend to do it in the afternoon, East Coast time in the United States. So that's kind of peak transaction time as far as the old school traditional financial fiat system is concerned. And so much of that still affects Bitcoin until we hyper Bitcoinize and it becomes a little more normal uh, to be able to, you know, function your, to be, for your bank to be open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, basically. And that bank being, you know, your hardware wallet or your, or your app on your, your, your software wallet on your iPhone. Looks like just yesterday, um, Speaking of mining, we had our last Bitcoin mining difficulty adjustment. As you know, Bitcoin is programmed so that one block is mined approximately every 10 minutes. And to guarantee that they get as close to 10 minutes as possible, they take an average of 2016 blocks. And that works out to about once every two weeks. And that just happened 195 blocks ago. And that was an increase in difficulty of 5.5%, which is a significant increase. But that probably corresponds to, you know, it's cooler out. And all those miners in Texas that had been switching off to help balance the grid with their load balancing agreements with ERCOT, uh, they switched off for a while during the first summer heat wave. And then last week I mentioned they'd had to switch off again because it was threatening to have rolling blackouts in Texas because of electricity demand. Uh, and now apparently all those miners are back on. And so uh, with the increased hash rate, uh, it got 
more difficult to mine the next block. Either way, uh, every 2016 blocks, we have a, a difficulty adjustment. The next one is 1,821 blocks away, so approximately s October 5th. Uh, and that's currently looking like it's going to be a decrease, like maybe the difficulty adjustment overshot with that big 5.5% increase. It's too early to tell, though, because 195 blocks is not even 10% of the 2016 blocks so we really don't have a big enough sample size and anything can happen in the next two weeks we could have another unexpected heat wave and miners could shut down a bunch of new miners could go online uh you know who, who knows but currently we're looking at a decrease in difficulty of anywhere between 0.65 to 2.4 percent depending on who's giving you that data and that is because those first 195 blocks have been coming in at an average time of 10 minutes and 16 seconds. So a little too slow. And that's one of the most genius things about Bitcoin Core, about the Bitcoin protocol, is uh, how it adjusts to keep, to keep the blocks coming in uh, at, at, at a consistent speed. And that's one of the reasons why that whole minor death spiral FUD, which you're going to hear more and more about as we get closer to the halving, is complete nonsense. It's nonsense for two reasons, but not the least of which is uh, if miners go out of business or start shutting their mining machines off, well, then the miners that stick around will become more profitable when the difficulty gets reduced. And also, you know, miners know that they're that the halving triggers a bull run, so some of them are willing to operate at a little bit of a loss, knowing that six months to a year from now, the Bitcoin they're mining is going to be dramatically more expensive. Even if it just retakes the current all-time high of 69000 I mean, that's more than double the current price. And miners aren't morons. They, they know that. They're not just going to panic and plug all their machines. I digress, however. Hey, real quick before I continue, I want to take a minute to thank those of you listening on your favorite podcasting 2.0 apps, such as Fountain and Breeze. Uh, they've been a little less generous with their sats on Fountain, but you can earn sats uh, by just by listening to your favorite podcasts. Last two nights in a row, I was only able to earn a few sats for listening to sponsored podcasts. And one of them I only earned 15 sats for. And I'm not complaining. That's free Satoshis. Um, but uh, there have been times where I've, you know, you've been able to make like 600 sats just for listening to a podcast you're going to listen to anyway. But more importantly than your ability to earn sats, your ability to help support your favorite podcasts uh, is what you should be talking about and you know, most of us are doing this out there as a labor of love, and none of us are doing this as our full-time job. Most of the, the quote-unquote influencers who are doing this as a full-time job aren't really making any money from their, from their boost and the support they're receiving from the listeners. They're making, you know, insane money from, you know, sponsors selling their soul to promote potentially scammy products. Um, but Podcasting 2.0 does allow you to tip your favorite podcast by sending a boost and, you know, you can send a couple sats and a message just letting your favorite podcaster know that you're listening, that, you, that you're thinking of them, what you, what you liked or what you didn't like about the podcast. And because it's a lightning transaction, uh, you can tip them. And we do have one boost to read this week, and that comes from Leggy, who boosted us 5,000 sats. So thank you, Leggy. And Leggy says, does your outro song say 9999 at the 33 minute and 30 second mark? Uh, yeah, it kind of does. Uh, that was me adding that. Yeah, it kind of does. Leggy continues. It needs to say, yeah, 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 yeah. And then a smiley emoji. And he's, he, he's, he's right. It should say, yeah, 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 yeah. And I almost cut a clip from one of my favorite movies in there where the, uh, 
uh, soldiers are singing, yeah, 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 yeah. But I didn't want to get a copyright strike. And Hollywood's really touchy right now, especially with the writer's strike going on. So uh, you can just visualize that audio. I mean, I, I, I sang it for you, right? So that's good enough. So thank you for the boost, Leggy. Thank you to those of you listening wherever you're listening. And if you're not listening on your favorite, on a, on a podcasting 2.0 app, uh, download Fountain or Breeze. And it's the same podcast. You can listen to any of your favorite podcasts. And even if you don't feel like boosting or supporting any podcasts right now, hey, you can earn some sats just for listening. And speaking of listeners, there's been a little bit of a shakeup, not really a shakeup, but there's finally been a change in our geographic distribution of listeners. Uh, for months now, our top 10, uh, our, our, our top 10 countries of listenership has remained completely ossified. That changed today. Uh, the top 10 are as follows. Of course, the United States is still number one. So thank you for everybody listening in the United States. We're a little more than half of you are listening, are listening from. Number two remains Argentina. So muchas gracias, amigos, in Argentina. Number three remains Germany. So danke schön, mein friends in Deutschland. Number four remains Luxembourg. So danke schön, mein friends, Morian. Number five remains Canada. So hello to you up north of us in what we jokingly refer to as the 51st state in the frozen white north, the soon to be, the sooner than, than you'd like probably to be frozen white north. In fact, I was looking at the, I was just, I was talking about how it's supposed to rain today. And so I was looking at the radar trying to say, hey, where's this rain we were supposed to get? And I saw it is snowing in British Columbia, probably only in the mountains, but uh, it is beginning. Number six remains Spain. So muchos gracias, amigos, in Spain. Here's where the shakeup is. Uh, prior to this week, Venezuela was number seven, but Colombia has moved up to the number seven position. So big shout out to those of you in Colombia. Muchos gracias, amigos, for bumping your country up to number seven the most seventh most popular spot for our listeners. So again, muchas gracias. Number eight is Sweden. So Sweden is moved up one spot as well. So thank you to those of you in Sweden. Number nine remains Singapore. So they have advanced a spot as well. Thank you to those of you in Singapore. And Venezuela now comes in at 10th place. So still in the top 10, not much of a shakeup, probably only one or two listeners to make that difference because those, uh, those last five countries in the top 10 or really neck and neck as far as numbers of listenership. But muchas gracias, amigos, in Venezuela. It's good to know those of you who are listening in a country where you probably need Bitcoin more than other countries, uh, than some other countries, not other countries. Uh, you know, Venezuela, Argentina do not have to be told about the, the horrors of, of inflation, of runaway inflation, of what happens when you print too much money, have bad monetary policies. So it's really good to see that there's lots of Bitcoiners in those two countries because right now, when we haven't had hyper-Bitcoinization yet, uh, they need it more than we do here in the United States anyway. So thank you to everybody, regardless of where you're listening from. But that, those are the top 10 spots for where, the, uh, where well over half of our listeners reside. All right, real quick look at the news. The news that everybody was talking about the biggest financial news of was of course the federal reserve did not raise interest rates today today was the fomc's uh decision day about whether they were going to raise interest rates of course most people thought that they would not 
and this, so this is really a no-brainer. This was this wasn't it wasn't this is no news is news kind of thing. Uh, so the central bank maintained the range of its benchmark interest rates at the five and a quarter to five and a half percent area, uh, but they held their projections for interest rates to to uh, end the year in the range of five point five to five point seven five percent, which means that uh, there's likely one more rate hike coming uh, before the year is over, if that is correct. Uh, it is being reported that 12 members of the FOMC saw one more rate hike needed by the end of the year, and uh, seven members said that they think rates are going to remain the same throughout the end of the year. So even that's a split decision, uh, and who really knows? I mean, that's all witchcraft and smoke and mirrors anyway, and the reason we have out-of-control inflation is because they printed trillions of of dollars in the last couple of years. And they did that everywhere in the world. That's not unique to the United States. But of course, the U.S. dollar affects a lot more countries than just the United States. So the out-of-control spending that we did in this country, which has not even come close to slowing down, especially with the removal of the debt ceiling a few weeks back, uh, that has rippling impacts. And, and just increasing how much, it, how much it costs to borrow money, uh, you know, that might put some people out of business. And sure, that can slow economic growth. Uh, to some extent, but it, it doesn't change the fact that there's just way too much paper fiat money in circulation. So it looked like the stock markets reacted kind of in a mixed manner to this news. Normally the markets are, you know, hinged uh, on, on, on that, on the press conference, ready to, ready to crash or, or soar based on whatever Jerome Powell says. And the S and P and Dow were both up, and they did decline immediately after the announcement, but are still in the green for the day. And the NASDAQ has just been down all day. The tech stocks are doing poorly. Uh, regardless, that doesn't appear to have had any impact or been influenced at all by the, by the Fed news or no news of not raise, raising rates, of keeping rates the same. A little bit of controversy out there on Twitter X. Uh, this was news to some people and apparently not news to others. But if you listen to Tales from the Crypt or uh, Rabbit Hole Recap, apparently Marty Bent is a pseudonym. It is not a real name. And the reason this was discovered is because apparently Marcus Dent, a.k.a. Marty Bent, sits on the board of Fortress. And Fortress has been, uh, well, Fortress has been drugged through the mud recently because as you know it was required by Ripple. Uh, Fortress is a service that uh, companies like Swan, uh, Strike, and uh, other companies had used to to handle their money transmission licenses for them, for acquiring you know for people acquiring Bitcoin through those services. Uh, but Ripple is no friend of Bitcoin. If you remember, the founder of Ripple is the person that gave Greenpeace millions of dollars to you know to run that silly change the code. Uh, campaign to try and get Bitcoin to go to proof of stake instead of proof of work. Uh, so I guess technically, you know, Craig Larson gave us that really cool Skull of Satoshi artwork that uh, was everybody was using as their profile pictures for a while that was supposed to demonize Bitcoin, but didn't really. So uh, for those of you who were not in the know, Marty Bent is a pen name or a pseudonym for Marcus Dent. And Marty tweeted out something about being surprised that anyone was even shocked because it's not unusual to have a pen name. And remember, he started out writing uh, for uh, Barstool Sports, etc. 
So it wouldn't be unusual to write under a pen name at all. I mean, my local newspaper has had, it was owned by like one dude. I mean, we have like a big regular mainstream newspaper here, but we also have the local beachside resident. And basically that's what was a one person business. And you know, he wrote all kinds of articles under different pen names. Uh, and some of them were, you know, hilarious uh, personalities and other were, you know, uh, all business, but it's not unusual for people that, that are in the, the publication industry to use a pen name. However, I thought it was funny because I've always assumed Matt O'Dell is, you know, is a, is a pseudonym, a pen name, because Matt O'Dell being the, the more privacy focused of the two on Rabbit Hole Recap. And it would just be really, really funny if Matt O'Dell was not a pseudonym, but Marty Bent was. So I kind of like the name Marcus Dent, although Marcus Dent does kind of seem like a federal agent, right? Like, uh, you know, if you were watching like a James Bond movie and said like, hi, I'm James Bond. It's like, hi, I'm Marcus, Marcus Dent. So you know, maybe you don't want a name that sounds like a spook in the Bitcoin industry after all. Speaking of Marty Bent, he had a really great bent that he put out today. And the summary of that was, he says, when the AI industry reaches an equilibrium and compute becomes commoditized, the industry will have to compete on power costs. To get the lowest costs, companies will have to co-locate GPUs with Bitcoin miners that can participate in demand response. That is interesting because, you know, AI, the AI industry is very nascent right now, but at some point in time, uh, it will kind of stagnate as, you know, as we plateau in computing power, just kind of like how Bitcoin mining has grown by leaps and bounds. But then uh, it went for a while where, you know, my, new miners were coming out every six months and we had the, then we had the AntMiner S9 and for two or three years, the AntMiner S9 was the standard. Now they've got the S19, et cetera. But for a while, it kind of stagnated. And when that sort of thing happens in the AI industry, uh, perhaps one way to have an edge will be to, uh, to use some of that spare electricity when their customers aren't, aren't, uh, aren't taxing their systems uh, by mining Bitcoin. So really excellent point, Marty, or Marcus. Uh, so it's just amazing. I mean, we can't even fathom where Bitcoin is going to be. We have an idea of what hyper-Bitcoinization might be like. But it would kind of be like if you were using the dial-up internet in the 1990s to connect to AOL or CompuServe to check your email. You know, going from that and visualizing the iPhone 15 uh, or Netflix or Amazon. I mean, those, those are things that you could have maybe fantasized about. But nobody really knew. Nobody could really picture exactly where we're going to be. Kind of like when the Wright brothers flew the first airplane. They didn't visualize all the steps and where we would be now and when man first landed on the moon, uh, etc., you know, they were just making wooden fabric uh, flying machines out of bicycle parts, basically. So uh, that's really cool. And who knows where we'll be, but I think that that makes a lot of sense. I could definitely see that happening. On Thursday, so one day after the last episode, Tucker Carlson aired an episode on his Tucker on Twitter or Tucker on X or whatever it's called now with Argentinian presidential candidate Javier Malay. They interview was split 50-50 with Tucker interviewing in English and Javier Malay answering in Spanish and subtitles for those of you who don't speak Spanish. But it was a pretty fascinating interview. It was nowhere near as firebrand as some of the other interviews that you've seen. In fact, it looked like the guy was on downers compared to the last interview I saw. He was not wild-eyed and practically salivating. He was calm, quiet, um, mild-mannered, but to the point about the evils of socialism and how um, socialism has to be fought 100% of the time because, uh, you know, they don't, they don't 
stop. If they if they fail, the socialists just keep coming. And if you you can't compromise with socialism because you you know freedom is all or nothing. You can't compromise on freedom because if you give away your freedom, you're not just a little less free. You're just not free. Uh, and so if they take away one of your freedoms this time as a part of a compromise, you know they won and you lost. That you know they've they're the only ones who have gained. And and then when they come back a second time and want another compromise, you know it's it's the whole uh, camel's nose under the tent thing where um, it eventually snowballs. They get they might whittle away your freedoms a little bit at a time. Anyway, it's a great interview. Uh, if you don't speak Spanish, you can still watch it and you know read the subtitles. Uh, but it's refreshing to see a politician like that and to think that he has an actual shot of being elected president in Argentina. Hey, if you're from Argentina, send me an email at. Uh, at Bitcoin Bulletin at ProtonMail.com or uh, DM me on Twitter at BTC Bulletin Pod on Twitter. And let me know what you think about Javier Malay because, you know, I know what I think about him, but I've never even been to Argentina. So my, my opinion doesn't really matter. And we have a lot of you listening from Argentina. And I really, really would like to know first person what you think about Javier Malay, whether he even has a shot or, or whether it's just, uh, you know, whether he's just a show and whether it's all, it's all just a stunt. Tucker also hinted at the recent Russell Brand controversy. If you haven't been paying attention, you know, uh, several women came out anonymously and confused Russell Brand of, uh, of rape, basically. Um, definitely sexual abuse. Um, but this all happened years and years and years ago. And what Tucker said on Twitter was that uh, he, he, he retweeted something from Russell Brand where Russell Brand said this is happening. And he says, Criticize the drunk companies, question the war in Ukraine, and you can be pretty sure this thing, this, this is going to happen. And, you know, you don't want to trivialize crimes of this nature because they're horrible. And if he is a predator, if he's a little Jeffrey Epstein, uh, then he needs to go down. But you could really easily ruin someone's career with a lie or a series of lies. I, I think it's really unfair to accuse somebody of something so dramatic and be completely anonymous because he's already lo he's already losing money. He's already having you know sponsors dropped, shows canceled, etc. Uh, he's guilty until proven innocent in the eyes of the media, and we really don't know. Tucker could be right. This could just be a smear because they know it would be an easy way to take him down and destroy him. Uh, so, you know, he's got some really interesting opinions. A lot of them I agree with, but I've just never never been a big Russell Brand fan. I've, I've seen a lot of I've seen a lot of his movies and. Uh, what was he in that I that I really enjoyed? It was uh, was he in the remake of Arthur, and that was okay. Um, and he's been in some other stuff that was pretty funny, but you know, it, it, I I don't not like him. I've enjoyed the movies that I've seen, but uh, he definitely isn't in my top ten actors. Um, but uh, it would be interesting if they are slamming him because uh, because of because of his criticism of the pharmaceutical companies, etc., and the uh, military. Military industrial complex. A Michael Krieger at Liberty Blitz on Twitter had an interesting follow up to this, basically saying something that worries me most about the U.S. government going forward, the U.S. going forward, is we're in a cycle of political vengeance that will be very hard to exit. A deterioration in the rule of in the rule of law and constitution means power does what it wants to political enemies. Power does what it wants to political enemies. Leads to broad authoritarian impulses. And guys, this is a major slippery slope. Uh, and I don't 
care what side of the political spectrum you lean on. Uh, I think without calling out anything specific, people in power have used their power increasingly to literally to prosecute people, to try and get them arrested and thrown into jail uh, just because they're their political enemies. And if that's what they're doing to Russell Brand, he's not even a politician. He's basically just a citizen journalist. Uh, and that is an ugly, slippery slope. I mean, the censorship that big tech has been able to, to do, in addition to the whole political correctness thing where they've convinced you to self-censor your, yourself, uh, is bad enough. I mean, to levels that 1984 never envisioned that the Soviet Union, not only could they not have envisioned it, they, it's beyond their wildest dreams of their ability to control what people say. Uh, and that is one of those things where the genie's out of the bottle and you can never put it back. You know, that's wine you can't put back in the bottle after the cork pops out. Uh, unfortunately, freedoms are easily, easily eroded if you're not very, very vigilant about it. And as I said earlier, even one little reduction, one little chip away at, at your rights, at your freedoms, uh, it's very hard to restore and you never seem to get it back. And the chip just, the chip seems to grow bigger and the cracks seem to deepen and widen. Uh, and a lot of people are observing that. And who knows whether, whether Russell Brand, for example, is, is a predator or whether he's being, he's being silenced because of his political views. But uh, speaking of political views, everybody's favorite Senator Elizabeth Warren, uh, you know, she's been advancing her crypto bill or her anti-crypto bill, her anti-crypto army. And her anti-crypto army now apparently has nine more senators backing it. According to an article in Cointelegraph, Senator Elizabeth Warren announces the expansion of her coalition to crack down on crypto's use in money laundering, drug trafficking, and sanctions evasion. Nine U.S. senators have added their support to Senator Elizabeth Warren's Digital Asset Anti-Money Laundering Act, according to a statement from Warren's office. The press release on Warren's official Senate webpage names these senators as Democratic Party Senators Gary Peters, Dick Durbin, Tina Smith, Gene Shaheen, Bob Casey, Richard Blumenthal, Michael Bennett, and Catherine Cortez Masto, along with independent Senator Agnes, Angus, Angus King. And if you're in the United States, you know there's no such thing as an independent senator. Every single one of them is caucused with the Democratic Party. You know, Bernie Sanders ran for president as a Democrat as an independent. <laughs> there are no independents. They, they, an independent in the United States is a Democrat in a libertarian state that needs to say they're not a Democrat to still get elected as a Democrat. Anyway, if any one of those are your senators, maybe you ought to reach out to them, give them a phone call or send them an angry email or a letter letting them know that you think this is completely unacceptable and that, you know, these are nine Democrats, Democrats all. And now this bill was co-sponsored by Lindsey Graham, who's a Republican, but uh, he's kind of a Republican in name only. And pretty much everyone else pushing this is a Democrat. And it's, really unfortunate that we're taking parties lines party lines on this because they as they say we should be the party of orange not the party of blue and the party of red and you know this is only going to hurt if you're a democrat you you should realize that this is going to hurt your party because you can't stop bitcoin and all they're doing is coming out looking like enemies of bitcoin they're coming out against the side of freedom they're coming out against the side of you know sound fiscal policy against the side of uh, of uncorruptible money and that can only hurt them in the long run especially when hyper bitcoinization hyper bitcoinization comes along and they're going to be the ones with egg on their face so maybe if those are one of your senators reach out and let them know
Speaking of senators and freedom erosion, also late last week, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau gave one of the most disgusting press conferences I've seen even out of his office, where he basically threatened Canadian grocery stores with price controls or taxing the snot out of them unless they lower their prices. I want to remind you that grocery stores operate on a razor thin margin. Restaurants do too. Restaurants throw away most of the food that they purchase and they, they make about a 10% profit margin. Grocery stores even less so. They make about a 3% profit margin. And yes, the dollar value of their profit is higher than it was last year at a record level because the value of the dollar is the lowest it's ever been. So because of inflation, obviously if people are, if, if you're buying, if you bought a pound of ground beef for $2 two years ago, and now you're buying a pound of ground beef for $8, well, the grocery store didn't make $6 more profit. Yeah, they made $8 instead of $2, but the profit was the same or less because the products are costing them more and the labor's costing them more. And price controls have destroyed whole sectors of the economy every time they've been tried. In fact, one of the famous stories about the fall of the Soviet Union was when, uh, I believe it was Gorbachev was touring the United States and they took him to a grocery store. And he looked up and down the aisles and he's like, you know, they have Potemkin villages over, over there where they would, they would set up all these nice fake fronts that looked like they were big well-stocked grocery stores, but they were basically just facades. They weren't real stores. Um, but Gorbachev was like, this is a real store. And he knew immediately it was over because, you know, people were waiting in food lines and, and bread lines and, and groceries were rationed or not available. And that's what happens when you have price controls. If the government tells you you can only charge a certain amount for bread, and it costs you more than that to make the bread, you can't make the bread, and the whole industry goes under. And it is a lot like the lockdown, where the supply chains were destroyed. There are still things we cannot get. I was at the doctor's office two days ago, and then later at the pharmacy, and both of them told me there's a whole slew of prescription medications they normally prescribe that you just can't get right now, including the majority of antibiotics, because they're made in pharmaceutical plants in India and China that have been shut down. And you can't just turn them back on again. And if you destroy your grocery industry, I mean, of all, of all the industries to destroy where people shop for their food, I mean, I guess if you look back at, at Marx and Sololinsky and, you know, the, the, the radicals who wanted to destroy capitalism, you know, they said basically you have to starve people and make them dependent on you for food and health care. So if that's an evil, I mean, if really, if, if he's not just stupid, if he's evil, if he's that evil, that is, I mean, that's just sick and twisted. I mean, that's how the Soviet Union starved millions, millions of people. And, uh, you know, what the Germans did in World War II was despicable, but pales in comparison to the number of, to the, to the millions and millions and millions more people who've been starved and murdered by their own governments. Um, and, well, and if that happens in Canada... You know, Canada used to be that country that everybody said was, you know, better than the United States with their free health care and, you know, um, their polite society and that they were just a model country, right? Uh, wow. If the, the times are changing, if, if what I'm hearing out of Canada is even a fraction of it's true, that country is falling apart fast. And it's one of those gradually then suddenly things because living in Canada might still be really nice, but you've already stepped off the cliff and you're falling 150 miles an hour down the chasm. But it's still nice out because you haven't hit yet. But when you hit the bottom, it's over. And there's nothing you can do about it. Once you jump off that cliff, unless you've got a parachute and you pop it soon enough, you're going to hit. There's no way around it. All right, happy news. 
I don't think I spoke about this last week. Maybe I did because this is more than a week old. But Franklin Templeton has joined the ranks of major Wall Street players that have filed for a spot Bitcoin ETF. Bloomberg reported Franklin Templeton has joined fellow asset manager powerhouses Fidelity and BlackRock in the race to win approval to offer the first U.S. exchange-traded fund that invests directly in Bitcoin. I don't think Bitcoin ETFs are good for you. You should own Bitcoin directly. There are times when you have to invest, like if you're in an employer retirement plan where where you can only buy stocks, so an ETF would be useful to you. But it's undeniable the amount of money that are poured into these ETFs. Just one or two of these big Wall Street powerhouses uh, bringing a spot Bitcoin ETF online could be that golden swan that, that, that gives us a demand shock, a supply shock, higher than the having supply shock. Uh, Bitcoin has got a half a billion dollar, or $500 billion, half a trillion dollar market cap right now. But, I mean, that's peanuts compared to the trillions of dollars sitting in these funds, sitting in these brokerage firms uh, to be invested. Uh, and, it, and it isn't just Franklin Templeton, Fidelity, and BlackRock. You know, we're talking massive, massive government pension funds, uh, endowments that, that have billions or trillions of dollars to park somewhere. You know, just a fraction of that siphons into one of these Bitcoin ETFs. And all of a sudden, that is a game changer. If you're in it for the number go up, uh, the, the Bitcoin spot ETF seems like the elevator, the express elevator up uh, big time. And if that happens to coincide with the having, I have a hard time believing when the SEC, Jerome Powell's, uh, Jerome Powell's, Jerome Powell, the Fed's not an idiot. Gary Gensler at the SEC is not an idiot. Uh, I don't even think that, uh, that uh, Elizabeth Warren is an idiot. I think they know what they're doing. I think they are very cunning and they're doing the things they're doing very specifically because they want, uh, they want these, these uh, outcomes that we look at and say, are, are you an idiot? Don't you see what's going to happen? I, I think they do see what happened, what's going to happen. I think they know what they're doing on purpose. So I don't think the SEC, I mean, I have a hard time believing the SEC would pull the trigger on these ETFs right as the having's coming because they know, man, that's not just, that's not just pouring gasoline on the fire. That is, that's, you know, that's, that's fusion. You know, that's an atomic reaction that wouldn't be stopped. Uh, if it does happen, hold on to your hats. Hope you have enough sats because we're not going to be stacking at 3,600 sats per dollar anymore. Also in the news, F2 pool. Remember last week, somebody accidentally spent, uh, paid a $500,000 mining fee. Uh, it turns out it was Paxos. They, they, they sent a relatively small transaction but they paid a 19 Bitcoin mining fee. And since then, F2 Pool has decided they're going to return that $500,000 fee to Paxos, uh, which I think is fair. Some people are upset because they said they were miners. They mined it fairly, and Paxos made the decision for them instead of letting the miners that were in their pool vote on it. The way I look at it is, if in an individual miner, we're talking about a handful of sats because nobody got that whole 19 Bitcoin block themselves. It was divided amongst the pool. And if that had been a person, imagine you have managed to amass a 20 Bitcoin stash and you went to spend a couple sats and you accidentally gave all of it away by fat fingering your, your mining fee. I mean, that is, that's, that's the sort of thing people jump off of tall buildings over. I mean, it's, it's life, life, not life ruining. Cause you know, you should have a positive mental attitude and, and you know, things always get better regardless how dark it is. You know, when you're at the bottom, you can only go up, but I can only imagine how devastating it would be 
emotionally. And there's people that wouldn't ever recover from that. So this was Paxos. It wasn't an individual. So at least I'm glad nobody is sitting out there contemplating ending everything because of how horrible they feel. But I don't have a problem with them returning the Bitcoin mining fee is what I'm getting at. Because I think, what if that had been a person? So it's, it's heartening that they did the right thing. And in general, that's because Bitcoiners are good people. You know, most people are in Bitcoin because they want a better world. They, they're the sort of people that like to help people. They don't want to see people cheated. They don't want to see people treated unfairly. So returning that money, that, that, that's in line with that ethos. And speaking of that ethos, I've been talking about that having and gasoline on the fire. Uh, we're approximately 30 DCA Wednesday episodes away from that big next Bitcoin having, And that means that there's just enough time for us to convert about another $600 in dirty US fiat into Bitcoin. And really that's why we're here. So let's get into it. We are of course here because today is DCA Wednesday. If you're just following us for the first time, maybe you heard about the interview that I did today and you're listening in to see what the show is all about. Every Wednesday we have what's called DCA Wednesday and DCA is short for dollar cost averaging. And dollar cost averaging is an investment strategy where you invest your money in equal portions at regular intervals, regardless of price. For example, we've been doing this all the way since Wednesday, July 28th, 2021. So more than two years ago, we've stacked 112 times. This will be our 113th stack. Each time we've stacked $20. So we've stacked a total of 2,240 US dollars, including $50.40 in fees. Because as I mentioned earlier, Cash App does charge a two and a quarter percent fee. Uh, but really, we've been stacking for two years and we've only racked up $50 in fees. So that's not too shabby considering that we're transferring to our hardware wallet for free. That $2,240 has amassed us a stack of 7,773,042 sats at an average cost basis of $28,817.55. So a little bit more expensive than what Bitcoin's currently worth. Uh, but, you know, a pretty fair price point considering there are people out there that bought a lot higher. That's one of the neat things about dollar cost averages. We bought the high, but we also bought the low. And so averaging all those purchases out, we're right up the middle. Uh, and when Bitcoin does reclaim that all-time high, that our cost basis will be less than half. So that's pretty cool. To add to that stack again, we're going to use the Cash App. I've already got the Cash App open and I have $20 sitting on there because I was going to buy Bitcoin if it... Uh, if it went, if it continued down and it didn't so that, that, that order did not get executed. So I'm tapping Bitcoin, tapping buy. Hey, $20 is an option this time. Sometimes I have to manually enter 20 because it's like five, 15, 25, 50, you know, they mix up, they mix up because I think they're trying to help encourage you to, I don't know, maybe be a little more random, but I think it's because they're trying to encourage you to spend more and they know I spent 20. So if they make the button 25, maybe I'll buy 25. I digress. I've tapped 20 this time instead of manually entering it, tapping confirm, and boom, just like that, we purchased another 71,913 sats, and we did so at a price of $27,185.49 per Bitcoin, so a little more expensive than last week, but still enough, still cheaper than our average cost basis, so that's going to drop. That's going to drop that average purchase price down another nine bucks, a little more than $9 to $28,808.32. But perhaps more importantly, that has raised our stack to 7,844,955 sets. 
And if the price stays down, I'm really hoping we can get 10 million sats before the halving. I don't know if that's possible because, you know, when the price starts going up, we're going to get fewer sats. But it'd be, it'd be cool to have 10 million sats before the halving, just for no reason in particular. All that really matters is we have more sats today than we had yesterday. That 7.8 million sats might not seem like a lot, but, you know, um, if Bitcoin goes to the moon and hits that $1 million uh, per Bitcoin fee that a lot of people kind of set as their moon, uh, that would be $78,449.55 with a Bitcoin for just a $2,000 investment. Even if Bitcoin only takes the the $100,000 mark this this having, which is easily, easily conceivable, uh, that would be $7,844.95 worth of Bitcoin. But more important than dollar value, if we had YOLO'd in on July 28, 2021 and bought at $39,716, we'd have a stack of 5,690,401 sats. That is 2,154,554 fewer sats than we have by dollar cost averaging. So even though our stack is worth a little less, than um than what we paid for it including fees by the way uh so don't discount that uh we're way ahead of where we would have been had we just yellowed in and lump sum invested uh two years ago so from that aspect dollar cost averaging has been great to us all right again i want to reach out to you and ask you to reach out to me please follow us on twitter on twitter we are at btc bulletin pod at btc bulletin pod you can dm me and let me know what you think about the podcast most importantly, you can find out when cool things are going to happen. Like in the next day or so, we're going to have a, a podcast episode of the really special interview. And I, you know, if, by following us on Twitter, you will know when that happens as opposed to just showing up on Wednesday for DCA Wednesday and, uh, and saying, oh, there was another podcast last week. Uh, but more importantly, you're going to help feed that algorithm monster because the more followers we get, the more people are likely to see our tweets. The more people that see our tweets, the more people you're going to help me orange pill. We're going to orange pill together. Uh, if you're not on X or Twitter and you want to reach out, you can always send me an email. Again, our email address is bitcoinbulletin at protonmail.com. And of course, if you've enjoyed this podcast and you want to help support us on that value for value model, uh, you can send us a boost on Fountain or Breeze. And of course, if you do send us a boost, just like Leggy did, we'll read your boost down on the next episode. It will not be the interview episode that I've already recorded, but it would be the next Bitcoin bulletin episode at this point. But in general, we read them on the next episode unless it's just something really obscene. So normally I'd say we'll see you next Wednesday and join us every Wednesday for our DCA Wednesday episode. But uh, hopefully you'll be joining us in the next day or so for that really cool interview. And uh, I think you'll enjoy it. And that one will be a video interview. So if you're not listening on Spotify, if you are listening on a, on a, on a podcast 2.0 app, this might be the time you want to duck into Spotify to see the video. Uh, but either way, we'll also be back on Wednesday and every Wednesday while we grow that stack together. And until that time, keep on stacking those sats, you sexy sat stackers. <laughs>